I'm Lindsay Claiborne. And I'm Mumu Shu, and you are listening to Beyond the Microscope. Hi, everyone. We're back for another episode. Today's guest is Melissa Marquez, a marine biologist and founder of the Finns United Initiative. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you guys for having me. Okay, let's start off by uh, asking you, what is the Finns United Initiative and what is it that you do? Yeah, so the Finns United Initiative basically is a program that I started five years ago now. Yeah, it's 2018. (laughs) Um, So basically, I started it when I was in undergrad, and I lived at that point in Sarasota, Florida in the States. And I realized that even though we lived right next to Sarasota Bay, which has quite a lot of sharks in that bay, the people who lived in Sarasota weren't aware of that fact. And so what I do with the Finns United Initiative is I basically created it to allow for scientifically accurate and open access, so free materials for basically anyone who was interested, be it educators or just interested uh, people from the general public, to learn about the animals, uh, the chondrichthians. And chondrichthians are the sharks, the skates, the rays, and the chimeras that lived in Sarasota. Now, as I moved, uh, I moved the program with me, so it's become quite international. Uh, and back then in 2013-14 when I founded it, it was actually known as Sarasota Fins because it was local. And since going international, I decided to rename it and rebrand it as a more uh, inclusive, I guess, name, which is the Fins United Initiative. So currently it's not a true nonprofit. Uh, that's something that I'm going to be working towards uh, this year, but it is a program that I've put my heart, my soul, and quite a bit of my own personal resources into it. And I've been very lucky to travel all over the world to visit classrooms, both personally and through Skype and Google Hangouts, uh, to teach all ages about these uh, fascinating creatures. So I'm going to go back a a whole lot of levels, but um, (laughs) why sharks? They've just always fascinated me. Uh, When I moved from Mexico to the States, it was during the summertime, the Northern Hemisphere summertime, and I was able to switch on the Discovery Channel, and Shark Week was happening, and it just, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. Seven-year-old me was just enthralled. Like, my mom came in, and she's like, do you want to go outside? And I'm like, no, it's Shark Week. She's like, what is that? (laughs) And so it's just... I don't know. There was just something about them. They were just so different from anything that I'd ever seen before that instantly little me was like that. I want to study that. So is there, what did you, what about sharks do you study or is that, I mean, I know you do a lot of education and outreach and stuff like that, but is there a particular form of research you do about them or? So currently um, I've just recently moved to Sydney, Australia, and I'm looking for, PhD projects or a PhD placement rather. But what my kind of specialty, I guess you can call it is, is habitat use. And that's basically answering why they are where they are. And also looking at public perceptions of these animals. So um, seeing how the public 
feels about sharks and how those feelings can possibly, um, I guess, influence conservation initiatives. Okay, so there are a lot of different types of sharks. Do you study any particular type? I recently finished my master's degree and that was on chimeras, so a relative of the sharks. Uh, Previous work has been done on great white sharks and I've also done workups with lemon sharks, tiger sharks, bull sharks. Uh, So quite a lot of the tropical ones because that's where I've based a lot of my time in. So, and so uh, do you, do you, I have a, can I interrupt with one really yes. important question? Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Yes, I do. <laughs> the tiger sharks. Galio Cerdo Cuvier, my 100% all time favorite. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had and, to ask. And, and, and the reason why it's your favorite? I feel like they're just the quintessential shark. Like when you talk to someone about a shark, yeah, you've got great white sharks and they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. But A tiger shark is just so charismatic, and I've been able to dive with them quite a lot and get really up close to them, like face mask to snout. And there's just something unique about their pattern, how it gets, it's really bright when they're juveniles, and then it kind of fades uh, slowly as they age. Uh, Their teeth are shaped like can openers, essentially, to help open like uh, sea turtle shells so they can eat them. They also eat birds randomly, too, and they're also known as the garbage cans of the sea because you have found some really weird things in their stomachs, like everything from chicken wire to porcupine, like an actual porcupine, uh, TNT, a suit of armor, like, they're not picky. It would be good for them for survival purposes. No, no. I mean, usually when when you're doing these, or, or how we find out is through uh, dissections. Okay. So they're usually dead when you find them like that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, and they're just, I don't know, there's just something about them that always draws me to them. And I've, again, been very lucky to go diving with them, and that kind of just, just cemented it for me. Okay, so I have a few questions swimming in my head. <laughs> like the sharks. So first thing, you mentioned skates and chimeras and sharks. Um, as a non-marine biology expert, what do all mm-hmm. those things have in common? Good question. Um, so all of them are they're in under the family chondrichthys. So basically they're not they're fish, but they're not, if that makes sense. It's kind of like all sharks, all skates, and all Rays and chimeras are fish, but not all fish are shark skates, rays, or chimeras. Uh, so all of them have, for the most part, low fecundity. So what that means is they take a while to mature, sexually mature, and then have babies. Uh, they don't always all have lots of numbers of babies, kind of like where fish, they just put their eggs and their sperm out into the ocean. Uh, they're in, their fertilization um, or their reproductive method is always internal. Um, so they have to have sex essentially. Um, they don't have bones like you and I, their skeleton is actually made of cartilage. So like the ends of your ears and the tip of your nose, uh, and depending on the species, um, they're all found in all parts of the oceans and also some fresh waters as well. Cause there are some freshwater, uh, 
rays and sharks. So my other question um, was you had mentioned when you study sharks that you study sort of how they get from where they are to where they are now. You phrased it much more eloquently than that. Um, how do you, how does one go about studying that? Good question. Tags, actually. Um, so it's quite an array of tags that I have used in the past, and it's everything from satellite tags. Um, have you guys heard of O-Search before? No. They're, they're pretty famous for um, landing big sharks, usually great white sharks, and bringing them up on a platform. And what they do is they attach uh, satellite tags, and every time the dorsal fin, so the back fin that you normally see on a shark that is quite famous and usually is accompanied by the Jaws theme. Right, of course. Uh, so Yeah, so when that fin goes up uh, and it has a tag, the tag will actually send out a signal to nearby satellites, which will then triangulate its coordinates, kind of like GPS. And so O-Search is quite famous uh, for having an app that actually tracks all of these animals like that. So it's similar to that, what I do, is I've basically attached a GPS to the sharks, and when they come up to the surface, which for some sharks it might not be that often, for some other ones they might actually love being up at the surface, depends the individual, uh, it gives me a GPS coordinates, and then you can kind of see, all right, this is where they were around this time, um, Depending if you get the tag back, you can also get more information as well, like uh, the temperature of the water, like the average temperature, their average depth that the animal uh, was swimming at, and other things as well. It depends the tags that you use, um, how much information you get. So you kind of get an idea of where these guys are, and then looking at maps of the ocean, you can kind of be like, all right, well, these habitats are here. This is how... Um, this is like these prey items are here. They might be following uh, these animals because they eat them or they might be going here because it's a possible nursery. It, it's really interesting. It's, I kind of feel like it's um, a mystery and I'm a detective and I like that. <laughs> I, I, I got stuck on one thing you said that it's a personality thing of whether certain sharks or, or skates or whatever like to be near the surface or not. Is that not a genetic trait? They, they, uh, I mean, to a point, but funnily enough, sharks do actually have personalities. Like all of these animals do have personalities. Um, for example, like when I go diving with them, some of them are shy. Like they do not like scuba divers. They are afraid of bubbles. Like they do not want to get near you, but other ones will get up straight up in your face and they'll be the same species. Hmm. And so it's, I mean, it's kind of like humans. We're all the same species, but we all tick in certain ways that make us similar or different. And it's the same exact way for these ones. I guess it makes sense. I mean, I, I just I sort of, I don't know why you think like the distance or how often you come to the surface would be something that's a little bit more like built into your, you know, your genetics or built into sort of the way you operate. But I guess why not? You know, why not? I, I definitely understand that. Yeah, I mean, up to a point, like, it is dictated in a way by lifestyle. Like, um, a lot of animals, if their prey is up near the surface, obviously they will go up more near the surface. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these, sometimes they're like, mm, I just had a really big meal. Do I want to be by the sun? Nah, I'm going to be, like, right <laughs> beneath it. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, definitely, to see in a way, how those personalities kind of come through just through data. 
Okay, a logistics question. Mm-hmm. How does one put a tag on a shark? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think you left out the part of without dying. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot of different ways. So some people uh, will actually take, it's almost like a harpoon looking uh, apparatus where if a shark is free swimming next to a boat, you'll position someone at the end of the boat with this giant stick basically and have the tag at the end of the stick and when the shark swims by you kind of hurl it in front of the dorsal fin or near the dorsal fin wherever really you want the placement to be and hope it goes through the very thick skin of these animals and sticks uh it's not always successful um a more successful one is a lot of people will catch them by rod or reel or by a much stronger uh, fish hook and bring them up to the surface and attach it manually themselves while the shark is kind of still in the water or in the case of Osearch out of the water and they will either attach it by um, drilling a hole into the dorsal fin and putting like mounting it onto the fin or attaching it some other way as well. I do know there are some glues that are now being tested or have been tested in the past um so it really depends but i guess the one thing that i want to say uh, as a precursor or as a disclaimer i guess is that um there's not a lot of nerve endings in the dorsal fin so it doesn't hurt these animals as, as like you know if we were drilling something into our arm or something like that um there isn't many um pain receptors there there will be a little bit of blood that you'll see it um, in the pictures and stuff like that when people are doing this. But we do have to remember that for mating, a lot of these sharks actually bite onto one another and cause way more damage that way than any damage that we could do uh, putting the tags on them. Uh, The tags are merely for data, um, I guess for gathering data, and not to hurt these animals in any way. You do have to go through a lot of uh, ethics to get your work approved. So it is putting the animal safety in, in mind. How many, how many different sharks at one given time would you be tracking? Or are you, I, I, let me ask a bigger question and then you can maybe answer that one in there. Is like, if like O-Search or one of these organizations is tracking a whole bunch of different sharks, can you as a researcher get access to all of that? Or do you have your own set of, I know, we, like set of sharks that you're watching? I mean, we, we've interviewed a woman who, who studies wolves and she was talking about tracking the wolves and she's got her same pack that she's been tracking over and over again. Like, do you, is it the same thing like that? Or are you sort of open to all the data that's out there? Uh, it really depends what projects you're into. Uh, O-Search, I'm sure if a researcher is interested in collaborating with them, they'd be able to do those talks and get access to that sort of data. I forget now, honestly, how many sharks O-Search has tagged. Um, I want to say more than 15, maybe 20, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but there's tagging apps now like that all over the world. Uh, which is really cool. And so I think it would be awesome if scientists collaborated and were able to use all of that data to kind of paint a bigger picture for different species and whatnot and see where they go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the number of sharks that you can tag at once and keep tagged really just depends on how much money or grant funding you get and then how long you've programmed those tags to last. And I guess what are some of the interesting findings that you've 
or results that you found um, from these tags or from these these migrations? Well, from my own uh, research, which was back in my undergrad and whatnot, um, looking at that sort of data, the data that was presented to me was, it was really interesting to see that the great whites that were tagged around South Africa, depending on how old they were, if they were uh, juveniles or if they were adults, uh, they would actually follow food migrations. So there's a great sardine run off of South Africa. And I think it's around May, June, if I remember correctly. It's been a while now since I've dealt with that data. Um, but they will follow the same path and um, are very similar and in the same area as that migration is happening. So they may be taking advantage of that which is really cool. Um, outside of my research and what other research has been done uh, for great whites, again, there was actually one that was tagged that went from South Africa all the way to Australia. And, you know, you look at these migrations, you're like, you look at a globe and you're like, holy crap, that's really far. Um, and it's interesting to see how these animals utilize the ocean, I guess it is. Um, They've kind of just made it their own domain, and it is their own domain. So it's really cool to see um, where they're going and why. Or rather, sometimes it, uh, it instead of answering questions, it just creates more questions. <laughs> uh, since you've been studying sharks, really, uh, on multiple sides of the world, um, what do you notice differences between the sharks that are off the coast of Sarasota and the ones you see near in Australia and near Sydney, or is it sort of a shark is a shark and, and it just, you know, the ecology of the community around it changes by country. It's, I think it differs because they're different species. Mm -hmm. um, in Sarasota, it was a lot of bonnet heads um, were the really big ones in Sarasota Bay, which are a, a cousin of like the hammerheads. And so how they move, how they use their habitat, how they breed is different from the sharks that we have here in Sydney. And in Sydney uh, Harbor, it's actually quite well known for its Port Jackson sharks. And they live a more, I don't want to say sedentary life, but they do kind of have a home range that they stick to and enjoy. And so it's, it's interesting to see the different species and how they are similar, but also how they're different. Um, and then seeing those animals and then trying to, I guess, kind of apply what we know about them and seeing how we can make assumptions for the deep sea uh, sharks and also the deep sea chimeras, which is what I did my masters um, on. Speaking of migrations, <laughs> I'm enjoying this too much. Um, speaking of migrations, uh, how did you get from Florida to Australia? I actually had a pit stop in New Zealand for two and a half years. Uh, so after my undergraduate, I went to, or I got an offer um, to do research in New Zealand. And I'm like, well... I've never sure. been to New Zealand before. Okay. So um, it was on animals I had never really, I don't want to say I didn't pay attention to them because obviously I knew about them, but I 
they weren't my research focus, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I headed over to New Zealand, did my master's in a year, and that focused on habitat use in chimeras, which are known as ghost sharks quite a lot. And they're not sharks. They're, they don't look like your normal shark, basically. Um, and so after I did my master's, I hung around there for another year and recently this past year um so it's january now and i just moved in december to australia because our visa ran out in new zealand and we weren't going to get it renewed so we were like well where do we want to head to next and i'm like <laughs> australia's warm and i'm like okay yeah let's go to australia well i guess all of the the region around there anything with with you know oceans and 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 is is good for research right i mean it's not like sharks are yeah. in part of the world no, no. I mean, basically, you will most likely find me near a coast at some point. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And especially because even though Australia and New Zealand are so close to one another, their interactions with the ocean and their interactions with sharks especially are very different. Um, so I'm quite interested to get a PhD started and delve into that a little bit more. Are there any particular topics or questions that you want to explore? I, I definitely want to see the extent of what a person's opinion on an animal has on conservation <laughs> initiatives and programs on an animal. Because even though the policymakers are the ones that have the influence to sway something one way or another, it is the general public that voices their opinion more than anything. Um, I mean, media, be it by social media, be it by newspapers or TV, is really kind of the deciding factor. I mean, if you've seen the news recently, um, President Donald Trump is terrified of sharks because he watched Shark Week. And, you know, it's one of those things of, all right, clearly um, por the portrayal of these animals matters because a lot of people, they won't, get exposure to these types of animals outside of say shark week. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm one of those proponents where I think that if you're going to show a documentary about an animal, an animal, have it be as scientifically accurate and I guess not biased in a way, like don't try to make it the scary shark. People. Right. It's not the scary it, shark that's exactly. going to kill you. It's, these are fascinating creatures that are nice and terrible at the same time. It, exactly. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, they are not your cuddly looking panda or polar bear, but those animals in their own respect, maybe not the panda, but the polar bear is a predator. Um, right. A lot of people forget that. It's the same exact thing with sharks. And I'm one of those people where I hate the phrase shark infested waters mm. because I just want to like ask the journalist who writes that on their um in their sections like where where do you expect them to go like <laughs> outside of sharknado sharks aren't gonna land on the land so you know that's their home yeah that's so their home if, infested whether we like it or not no exactly like that's their home and if you think about it the the amount of fatal shark bites that are around the world is so low Yet, the population of people continues to grow. More and more people are going to the beaches, and the 
amount of fatal shark bites around the world either stay the same or drop or slightly increase if it's not year or whatever. But it's, it's really interesting to me that these guys have such a bad reputation that they just don't deserve, in my opinion. Yes, they are scary looking. It's kind of hard to be like, oh, look at the cuddly shark when you've got 300 rows of sharp teeth. But at the same exact time, it's like, you know, if our fears were actually proportionate to the actual threats we should be worried about, Hollywood would be churning out horror films about stress and fast food and insects, not sharks. Um, I think it was the National Safety Council uh, recently put out some facts, and you're more likely to die from a bicycle accident, a lightning strike, uh, dog bites, fire, uh, fireworks, tornadoes, uh, insect bites, so like wasps and bees, um, a fall from your bed, an asteroid, all of those are more fatal than a shark bite. Like, you have a chance of having those things happen to you than ever being fatally bitten by a shark. But then you wouldn't have Sharknado. And then, you know, where would we be, right? No, no, I know. Uh, to be honest, I think I watched the first Sharknado and I'm like, I can't. I can't watch this. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people said that. I tried. I tried. I gave it an effort and I was like, mm, no. nope. So I have, um, on, this, on this vein, I think you touched on it a lot, but what is something about sharks that, um, that the average person doesn't know? Or that is misunderstood, besides the whole they're not out to kill you all the time. Yeah, no, we're definitely not on their menu. Um, I, think, I think the thing about sharks that people don't get is that not all of them look the same and not all of them have sharp, pointy teeth. Uh, sharks alone, there are over 500 different species. And on average, uh, we're discovering a new species of chondrichthians, so that whole family there, um, every two weeks. And if you look at the diversity of sharks, you've got everything from the tiny little cookie cutter shark, which granted it does have sharp teeth, but it's smaller than the average person's hand. Um, and it takes on giant things like whales and submarines. For people who don't know, uh, cookie cutter sharks are known or have that common name because they'll actually latch onto an animal, spin around, and then take out a cookie-sized chunk from the animals. Um, That's effective, I guess. It is. It is very effective, and you'll see it on quite a lot of mammals. And I think it happened to a person once, but they were swimming over a channel in the middle of the night when. A lot of the deep sea animals uh, come up to the surface. There is a great migration that goes on during night. Not the smartest. Don't swim in the dark <laughs> over channels, guys. Uh, but, you know, you've got the tiny little cookie cutter shark all the way up to the giant whale shark. And the biggest fish in our oceans right now is the whale shark. And it eats the smallest things, which is fish eggs, plankton, small crabs, small fish. And, you know, when people think of sharks, they usually go to a great white shark with lots of teeth. But you've got this gentle giant here, which the only way it can hurt you is if you're in its way of its tail. Um, so it's, they're a really diverse species. And I think lumping them into just kind of one stereotypical image is wrong. And I mean, you can say that for scientists as well. That's true. <laughs> Have you um, watched the new Blue Planet series? 
Yes, I love it. I love Blue Planet. <laughs> I was obsessed I with that tusk fish last week. Or I, oh, I shouldn't date this yeah. podcast, I guess, but, but the, <laughs> on the first episode of the season. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, me, uh, me being in New Zealand at the time when it was coming out, I did get to see the episodes as they were coming out. Ooh, um ooh, before okay. like the states and i was like i can't talk to any of my friends about this <laughs> oh. so no it was it's uh, i i've always thought that the blue planet series the life series is a work of art and bless david attenborough and his wonderful narrating voice <laughs> oh yeah it always makes it all better right oh god yeah melissa thank you so much for joining us this was really fun and hopefully mumu We'll still stick her toe in the ocean next time. I promise you they're not <laughs> going to hurt you. <laughs> I love turkeys. They're so cute. Do you yeah, really? I do. Yes. They're on the other side of the glass or like actually in the ocean? With you? <laughs> well, I don't know, but actually in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew there was a catch. <laughs> um, Melissa, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Hey, you're still here. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. Help other people find this podcast by giving us a rating on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Scope Podcast. Our theme music was composed by The Copycuts. <laughs>